Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. We have a huge episode this week as we follow up on the U.S. Nationals and all the wildest that happened at Indy. We have three guests. Tony Pedragon, my right-hand man in the booth, will join us, along with Drag Illustrated editor and creator Wes Buck and David Freiberger of Roadkill and Hot Rod Magazine as we review and talk about Hot Rod Magazine Drag Week, which is coming next week. Buckle up, it's time for the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this next episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. I am Brian Loans, and I am still like most of you who watched or were at or raced in, God forbid, the U.S. Nationals in a bit of a recovery mode after uh, what is drag racing's most amazing and off-the-wall and grueling week, or maybe second grueling week. We'll talk about that in a little while when we have David Freiberger on. It was an incredible U.S. Nationals. I think they all are. Every one of those races that has been held, 65 of them, has its own fingerprint, its own kind of uh, little DNA molecules sprinkled into it. We always see things at this race that um, that make us smile. We see things that may make us cry. And, and, and in some ways, uh, we saw all of that on Sunday. I mean, we can go 100 different directions. I could do a nine-hour monologue on just what happened on Sunday at the U.S. Nationals. But a couple of the big takeaways for me, Val Smeland was a big one. Bit of a sleeper story because it got overshadowed by some of the other big news, but Val Smeland making the top 10 in the pro stock ranks um, is awesome. It's awesome. The response or the uh, reaction that his wife had at the top end, we, we she went down to pick him up and tow him back to the pits after he won in the first round. She was just weeping. I mean, she was shaking and weeping and just uh, beside herself, as was Val. And it was great. It was a great, genuine moment of achievement that many of us didn't expect. And that's not uh, taking a shot at Val Smeelan. It's just when we, look to, when we look at the top 10 pro stock racers, Val Smeelan's one of them, and it puts a smile on our face for sure. Doug Coletta finally wins the U.S. Nationals in, in, in a bizarre fashion. He wins the U.S. Nationals by coasting across the finish line in a car that is the loudest car in the world, except uh, when neither of them are running. The top fuel final finished... Not in silence because the crowd was screaming, but it finished in mechanical silence as both cars were shut off and just rolling on their own accord down there. John Force wins Nitro Funny Car. Are you kidding me? No. No, we're not kidding you. And the fact that he is going to be the guy to chase for the championship this year says a whole lot about the operation at John Force Racing, who did announce an extension with Chevrolet during the U.S. Nationals as well. So big news there on the positive business front for JFR. Jerry Savoie wins Pro Stock Bike. Jerry Savoie wins Pro Stock Bike on a weird fi- in a weird final, but let's be honest, he had the bike that was a class of the field on Sunday. I don't think Andrew Hines would have been able to hang with Jerry Savoie, given them, given them both leaving at the same time. The numbers that Savoie had laid up on top of that white alligator racing machine over the course of Sunday were highly impressive. He and Tim Kalungi and the rest of the crew should be proud, and they come in to the countdown of the championship uh, looking more sporty than perhaps we expected. And finally, Alex Laughlin in Pro Stock. The most improbable Pro Stock final, not just in Indy history, maybe in NHRA history. Eric Anders goes 007 on the tree to Alex's 120. And then has a transmission problem, and Alex is able to get her at the top end of the racetrack. She was, understandably, and still is, understandably heartbroken about what happened. Especially after the last couple of races where she has been so close to breaking through for another win. Just hasn't quite got there yet. But for Alex Laughlin, this was the payoff after some bad luck he's had over the course of the year. Remember in uh, Gainesville, makes the final in Gainesville at the Gator Nationals, has the quicker car, and then it didn't start at the starting line. 
Bo Butner singles for the 50th Gator Nationals victory. Then we can talk about what happened to him in Sonoma. It was driver error, but he didn't shut off the rev limiter for the burnout in the car. Then he failed to arm the electronic shock absorbers that uh, helped the car work down the racetrack, and he lost. But it all came together for him at Indy. What a better place for that to happen. And for Erica Ender, she has a great car. She has unparalleled and unprecedented starting line prowess uh, going on for the last several weeks. She comes into the countdown strong. She just wanted to come in with a couple of Wally stack behind her. But it may be her time to shine over the course of the next six races. All the other competitors will probably have something to say about that. It was a race of attrition to some level. We had a lot of oil, a lot of oil. Uh, those of you that watched the Sunday broadcasts, uh, uh, some of it, you saw Justin Schreifer suffer arguably the most violent starting line funny car explosion in a decade, an explosion so violent that it actually took the car and levitated the entire car off the ground. I'd never seen a funny car blow itself off the ground before, but I sure did on Sunday. We watched that slow-mo replay about 12 times because it was just a bizarre, bizarre look. So the uh, the race itself, we had rain. We had all kinds of things happen. We had 900 cars there. They raced sportsman cars well into the night. Um, about 10.30 p.m. on Monday night was when the final pair went down, which was a heads-up stock eliminator final. Can you believe that? Austin Williams gets the win. You know, the dramatic final run of the U.S. Nationals under the lights, and he wins in a heads-up contest. How cool is that? Straight out of the uh, Straight out of the natural. We're going to talk about the countdown today with Tony Pedragon. I'm going to review some of uh, what we saw, what we interacted with at the U.S. Nationals. Going to have Wes Buck from Drag Illustrated on. Wes is a friend, uh, greatly connected guy in the world of drag racing, was at the U.S. Nationals, and I want to get his perspective on several things, including Pro Modified, some news coming out of the Pro Mod camp, some of the rumors that have been floating around the pits, uh, especially at Indy. It's a place where a lot of rumors begin because it's that time of the year where people start making plans for next year. They start making announcements, be they public or private. And then David Freiberger will be a guest on the show as well. David has been a friend of mine for about 20 years now, and he and I will be uh, hosting the live streaming broadcast of Hot Rod Magazine Drag Week in about a week or so. It's an amazing event, one of my favorite things of the year. You know, U.S. Nationals, Bonneville, and Drag Week are kind of like a, a 1, 2, 3, or a 1A, 1B, 1C as far as things to be able to do if you're a gearhead. <clears throat> and uh, they all kind of fall on top of each other. So it's been a busy couple of months for a lot of us, and that is definitely not a complaint. So Freiburger will be on. We'll make fun of each other and talk about Drag Week. You will enjoy it. So let's get this thing kicked off. Tony Pedragon is going to be the first guest on the show, and obviously uh, Tony and I had a fun weekend out there in Indianapolis. We were live for many, many hours on television, five hours live on Monday, and it didn't feel like five hours. The time goes by very fast when you're in that mode, and there's no real way I can explain what it feels like other than you're kind of hyper-focused, you're kind of just in, you're in the moment deeper than you've probably ever been in the moment of anything in your life. And I say that because you have to be so kind of um, in tune with what's going on around you. You have to be so focused on the, the things that are happening. And um, it makes for an intense but very fun day. And I feel like that's what we had on Monday. So without further ado, here he is. Hey, Brian, a little recovery after the biggest <laughs> and longest race of the year. I'm sure you're in the same boat. Yeah, you live out there. Uh, you actually live in the you know in the vicinity of the racetrack. Are they still running cars? I think they actually haven't finished. I think Stock Eliminator is still yet to be run. <laughs> I think I think right before we got on the phone, I just heard the last one cross the finish line. So, Man, it was a uh, it was a marathon week. It always is, but this year with the you know inclement weather came in and out, we had some just 
beyond titanic oil downs that really threw the program for a loop. But I guess, thankfully for us, um, you know, live television d- dictates the fact that the uh, the big guns get out there when they're supposed to get out there. But it was still uh, it was still a thrash even for them on Sunday. Man, there were some tight windows. Yeah, you know, Brian, and and one of the thoughts I think you and I talked a little bit about this. I wonder if it's time because of live TV and and you know trying to appeal to to the to the new viewers that the sport needs you know i wonder if it's time to to get the repeat offenders the, the same guys that do it all the time and and penalize them and say look we got live tv guys no offense but we're going to put you in the back of the back of the staging lane so you guys can run after and you can lube it up all you want after that but it, it does it does have an effect you know, think about it we were on on fox and um it, it, it's a lot of work for the production team. Uh, I think you and I heard them in our ear. They were calling some odds and uh, uh, making the best of it, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, we uh, thankfully for you know Jamie and Amanda and Bruno, they were uh, they were hustling. You know, we were kind of locked up in our in our uh, Skyward apartment up there on top of the tower, but uh, they're on the ground. So when something like that happens, uh, Steve Reinches, the guy who's steering the ship down there in the TV truck, really leans on them to to kind of run around and fill time. Um, Let's talk about a few different things because obviously some great stories came out of the weekend. I think the first one I want to talk about is Doug Coletta, you know, finally breaking through, basically leaving Jason Line and Ron Caps uh, behind in terms of all these uh, accolades and championships without a U.S. Nationals win. So I guess let's talk about Doug's performance on Sunday. Yeah, well, before we talk about Doug, he's also leaving my company. You know, of everything, all the races that I've won. <laughs> It's like, you know, I was, hey, and if, if I was rooting against anyone, it would probably be more caps than Doug Coletta because, <laughs> hey, I don't want to be alone. Eventually, it's just going to be, he got a lot of wins, he never won the race. But uh, I don't think there was a person in the house, maybe with the exception of the Torrances, that weren't glad to see Doug Coletta. And maybe when it was all said and done, uh, Billy Torrance finally cracked another grin because, uh, you know, we've documented how how popular Doug is and, He's just a very likable person, you know, I think uh, because of his personality. And then when you look at his track record and his talent, his ability, why wouldn't you want to see a guy like that win? And really, if you think about it, he was one cylinder away from winning last year. He raced Terry McMillan. Yeah. And from that overhead, the Lucas Oil chopper, it was, I think they switched leads a couple of times. And Doug on seven cylinders actually pulled ahead twice, but just at the finish line, it was Terry that got him. But, um, you know, great, great to see him finally win, and it was a, it was a heck of a final round. I mean, who would have called that? Two cars smoking the tires, both of them doing a nice job off and on the throttle, and then both the cars, one of them pitching a belt and the other shutting off and coasting. Yeah, it was, uh, it was something else. And even the first round with Clay Milliken, you know, they run, he runs an identical lapse time with Clay three seventy two one side by side. It was like, to me, it was the perfect way to kick off what ended up being a very exciting day. It, uh, this race, for whatever reason, always. For, you know the uh, the drag racing gods look down on it and create stuff that even we couldn't dream up. And the first round and the final for Doug, I think, were were those two things at least in top fuel. Yeah, I agree with you. The first round and the final round, and really everything in between. You know, Brittany Force qualifying number one. That was a historical milestone for her. I didn't realize that you know no, no female had been on the on the pole for that race. And, uh, you know, she looked to be a favorite. But, you know, we talked about this coming in. When I looked at the forecast, and and it was all wrong. Yeah. It wasn't hot. It wasn't going to be in the mid to upper 80s. And at that point, I, I realized that, you know, over the years, we've seen a lot of uh, unexpected winners because that's what this race can tend to do. 
or rather any race when it's hot it loosens the track up and it it kind of allows the the teams that don't make as much horsepower uh, as long as they can manage it and manage a clutch some of these guys are you know a little more resourceful and they can't you know they can't make as much power as let's say some of the higher funded teams um but they get down the track and over the years you know you've seen you've seen uh, like terry mcmillan last year not to take yeah. anything away from him but i just didn't think that it would it would be the case in funny car or top fuel because of the forecast i figured we're going to see some high-powered teams and high-powered cars in those final rounds and we did we did in top fuel we did in funny car and I think it was because or the overall conditions, even though it warmed up a little bit on Monday, the overall conditions, I think, favored the cars with better power. Yeah, I think they did. And, and you know, Billy Torrance, let's talk about him. He obviously makes the final. And uh, it's interesting because I've heard a couple of things, uh, some guff, if you will, from uh, various uh, social media people or fans or whatever, kind of kicking back some stuff. Um, they thought we were maybe overselling Billy Torrance or we were underselling Scott Palmer and Terry McMillan coming into this weekend, especially leading into eliminations. But to be honest, I, I feel like our take on the whole thing was correct because it played out the way that everybody expected it to. And that's not for lack of effort for Terry or for Scott. And I'm not being disrespectful saying that. But when you look at the raw numbers and the performance that Billy has had at every race he showed up at, there was no way he wasn't going to be the car that made it in. You know, Terry Terry McMillan's car ran better than it has in weeks. They never missed a run. They went down the racetrack every time. But when it came down, when it came time to deliver, a mid three seventy just wasn't going to get it done early on a Sunday morning. And, and Billy Torrance, uh, you know, drove drove himself to another final. Well, that's why we're here, Brian. We're here because we're the scapegoats. We, right. we want. <laughs> right. we, we're, want to get the hate mail and our facebook accounts they are for people to, to tune in <laughs> and monday in this case tuesday but you know sometimes hey the truth although it, it may hurt um hey you and i we call it like it is and when we look at billy torrance that car right there arguably is is the second best car with the exception of, of steve's car um and it lives up to that you know so so we uh, you know my only concern about him would would have been the red light and Brainerd. You know, he had it, it was there within his reach and, and he red lit, you know, and, and it just goes to show you that even the best drivers, they are always on the edge and, and you know, sometimes that pressure plays into it. He had been doing great uh, prior to that, uh, but, but more than that, more importantly than that, he came into this race talking the talk, you know, telling the cameras that, hey, I'm not gonna worry about it. And he lived up to that. Yeah. And, and uh, I can not only appreciate that, but I can admire that from a driver that he was able to phase that out. Um, and the good drivers can. You know, he's not the only one. I've seen some drivers it affects, it slows them down, uh, it it you know plays into their you know their head mentally. And and then there's some drivers that have been through it before. I don't know that Billy Torrance has been through it before, but he sure did a good job um, keeping his composure. And then when he made the countdown, I, I, I commented on the show that I liked the fact that he just he just he grinned a little bit. He gave us a little fist pump, but it wasn't it wasn't uh, over celebration. It wasn't anything that we didn't want to see. And I could admire that I, for the life of me. I could never figure out uh, like if an NFL team is losing a game <laughs> by 30 points and they get a first down and, and the running back, you know, he drops the ball and celebrates and then points. That to me doesn't make sense. They make a fool out of themselves when they do that because it's a team sport. And, and I just like the fact that Billy, 
it was as if he had more work to do. He wasn't finished. He was glad to make it in. But I think the ex- expectations for this team are very high, and uh, he acted like it. Yeah, and, and a question on along this path or down this road. So, you know, that team, now that car is going to run the six countdown races. And a lot of the guys that work on that car also work on Dominic Lagana's car when it uh, when it comes out, and it will be at two of the countdown races. So what, what, what we're talking about here really for the Capco team is the biggest kind of strain on their resources because we've never seen these two cars run six races in a row. Right, we've never seen those two cars plus Dominic at two at two races running uh, concurrently. So, from your perspective as a guy who's run a team before, you're adding a lot of load. How do you manage that? Well, it's been done before, but you know this is a this is a time of the year that it becomes very crucial. And you know the one thing that that the Torrance team has been able to do is hire good help. I think they understand the value of good people that are reliable, that are efficient. Uh, the question is, Is are they out there? Are the crew people uh, available? There are a lot of them around that, you know, have gone and, and, and done other things, moved on their machinists. Um, this will bring some of them out of the woodworks because they know it's a good team. They know it's a car that's going to contend for the championship. Um, but the trick is the supervision. You know, when you get those people together, just like any other team sport, uh, I think it's it um, it's very underestimated in our sport, the chemistry that, that the the people have working on the car that is something that you don't have instantly to make a 60 minute turnaround they have to be very efficient and a lot of these guys have been there they've done that but you don't really get it until you work together for several races so it, in my opinion i think they're going to get people that have worked together and they may even lend a hand if one car's out of competition but more than likely both these cars are going to see the late rounds and um you know, however they do it, I'm pretty sure they're just going to get people that are experienced, that have been down the road a couple of times, and you know, there might be some good teams or some decent teams that are losing guys because there's a lure to going to work on that Billy Torrance car, uh, not just for the money, but uh, I, I think for the for the fact that the plain and simple fact that if it's not Steve. I would say Billy Torrance is going to rank in the top three favorites to win the championship. Yeah, and, and along those lines as well, you know, the dynamic changes this year with those two guys, with Billy and Steve, because we've always seen Billy pop his head out in the countdown, and we know he's there to block for Steve. You know, we know he's there to, to, to be a stopgap or to try to take people on and, and soften the road up for Steve a little bit. Now he's actually going to be racing him, and, and he always has raced him, and that's an important point. Like, we've never seen Steve or Billy – going the tank for each other not once not even at the world finals last year when steve was you know on the cusp of sweeping the whole the whole countdown billy raced him and they finished within a couple thousands with steve ultimately beating him so at some point you know you and me both know this we're all human beings here but at some point those two guys are gonna have to race each other and it may be in a critical moment um for this championship and we're gonna we're gonna really see what they're made of i think yeah one of the things that billy torrance said last year when when steve was you know, was on that run and he was on the brink of making history when they raced and it was a close race and Billy got out of the car. I'll never forget the words that he spoke. He says, you know, if I don't race him, he doesn't earn anything. And and that's something that 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 very few people, if any, that have been through this sport, that have been uh, contending for a championship can say. And that's one of the things that I admire about Billy Torrance. There's no bias. I mean, he's not paying me anything. Sure, I, absolutely. I do what I do with everyone. I, I, I state the facts. I can back anything that I say up. But when it comes to Billy Torrance, um, he's put his money where his mouth is. 
And and those words that he spoke, I, I just thought, you know, I've never heard that before. And he's right. So there's no question when you see those two Capco cars on the line, don't expect, hey, if, if they smoke the tires, he's got money in the bank. I can't be critical of that. It's when we, we see that 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 they're more than coincidences when somebody's real late and they you know they they drive to the center line they just right. do crazy stuff you know uh, again i go to the eyeball test and go to the sniff test if it smells good it probably isn't good on the racetrack i don't think we're going to see that for the torrances uh, i think it's you know this is my take whether you agree or disagree but uh john force is now officially the guy to beat for the championship this year is that even a question anymore well, he's in the conversation, you know, I think, I think Robert's going to be tough, but you know, one thing about force is that, uh, you know, he's, he's good for a few more years. I mean, hey, it, it may be even beyond that. I shouldn't even say that. <laughs> I worked for him 20 years ago and he says, Pedragon, just a couple more years and it's all yours. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't stick around because I, I'd be, uh, I'd be old and gray and still saying, well, John, a couple more years, right? But but he's just as capable, you know. Uh, you go back a couple of years ago when he was having some issues driving the car. Hey, these these cars—they took a couple of steps forward and evolved and went quicker, and they handle different. And the aerodynamics change. But if you look at John now, he is in that conversation because yeah. he won Seattle. That wasn't an accident. Uh, he won the U.S. Nationals, and I mean, look at the terrain he went through. But I'll say this about John: he's is capable. He's just as savvy. Uh, if not more than, than anyone else, however he stages the car or what, however he figures he tr- he can try to win or he has to win. But if you look at his tuner um, and, and Dan Hood, I'm sure he deserves a lot of credit, but Brian Karate is just as good as Jimmy Prock and his assistant when they get on a roll. And, and I don't think there's too many tuners I would say that about. Ron told the race is different. Um, you know, when when it comes to power, maybe he can't make as much, but but he can get the job done. Um, Dicky Venables, yeah, he can throw some haymakers, but maybe he's just not as consistent. But if there were one person right now today that can go toe to toe with Jimmy Proc, he need only look across the pit, and that's Brian Karate. Yeah, it's interesting, and I think uh, you know, speaking to to John's uh, mental state, which is probably never a smart thing to do, but it seems like you know. It seems to me, especially after uh, winning the U.S. Nationals, that this is not a guy that's like trying to talk himself into believing it anymore. Like it's a guy who actually believes in his heart that he can compete. You know, I think we went a couple of seasons here where a lot of the stuff that was coming out of his mouth was almost he was almost talking to himself to try to convince himself that he was still capable of doing this. And um, clearly he is. And clearly Brian Karate is an is an interesting fit and he's a good fit in terms of performance but i think you and i both know from the stuff we hear uh, you know on the inside out john and brian karate will never be best friends they don't need to be but they have a functional relationship that is uh potentially championship gaining so it's a very different dynamic than he had with austin Coyle. uh it's a different dynamic than he's probably had with any of his crew chiefs but as of this point it's working yeah and i that's a good observation brian and i don't think a lot of people realize that and what I used to tell my my uh, uh, personnel, my crew members, um, just to try to maintain some sanity and 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 parity and consistency and camaraderie is you don't have to you don't have to go to a movie and and do things after work. We're here to do a specific job, and I think I think even Austin Coyle and John had you know a little bit of a love hate relationship. But the end as long as the end result is good, and as long as they both understand that, a hey, Brian. Karate has a little bit of an edge to him, yeah. and 
and and I can admire that. You know, hey, if he doesn't want to give us an interview, if he doesn't, you know, if he's not in the mood to talk, um, yeah, okay. I I think that there's two sides of that. I I think that a person should. I think they have an obligation to 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 give us something at some point. Um, but but I'll never argue with the fact that the guy has passion and. And, and I can relate to a guy like that because when I got beat, you, you would never see me go hug the other driver, you know, and Hey, plenty of drivers do that. The more power to them. Uh, if it's real, if it's fake, then shame on you. I say, let your real emotions show. I wasn't hugging nobody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I like that. I like that about Brian karate. And, um, you know, and I, I think, I think, uh, they're going to be in a battle with caps um i think beckman you know even though they haven't been able to win i think it's just a matter of time and if you look at the performance of that car uh whatever dean antonelli john medlin people that i know very well um i know how they think i know how good and how talented they are and they work together and they are a very lethal tandem they totally are and you know if we switch gears a little bit into pro stock um how the final in pro stock was the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, have you ever in your life seen a pro stock race where somebody's 007 and the other guy is 120 and the wind light comes on for the guy with the 120? I mean, there wasn't a person in the stands that figured what was going to happen happened. I almost opened my mouth when I saw the reaction time. I'm glad I didn't, but I almost <laughs> the show's over. Screws to you, Alex, because... <laughs> Well, you know, hey, it worked out for him. You, you know, nobody's going to take you can't yep. take that away from him. No, um, but you know, it was a big, it was a big goof up. I, I, I like the fact that uh, he said what he said. He was going to bring a drill and screws. I'm guessing he wanted to put the screws to her. Okay, on the starting line, that means you got to hand it to her on the starting line, and he didn't. He was late. Um, you know, he 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 cracked under pressure, but it just panned out for him. And you know, it's interesting. I'd be real. I'd love to get into that transmission of that elite car and and relive that. You know, I I don't know. They say a, a gear failed. Did she miss a gear? I I mean, I don't know. I I I like to think that the that her especially, she's so tuned into her machine. Um, and she talks about that. She shares it with us that you know she's going to change the linkage. She's going to yep. change the because she understands the geometry of the clutch and the linkage and how it works and and most importantly the effect that it has on her but um i think kevin mckenna someone sent out a a tweet or some someone did on her last six reaction times in competition and no other driver can compete with her right now we talk about how good Derek kramer is and i think matt hartford's going to be good down the stretch but uh jag pretty good but not as good as erica and that should be a cause for concern to the pro stock field yeah i mean the last three races uh, just alone if we take that as a micro sample she's in the semis against greg anderson and just buries him in seattle and then they spin a bearing in the engine late in the run and he's able to get by her by a fender we get to the final round in brainer there she is again in the final and jason line you know dials up heroically and i'm not i'm not taking this away from him. he dials up at his home racetrack at the what i would consider probably one of the single biggest moments of his career dials up an incredible reaction time and has enough horsepower to beat her and then we get here and this happens in the final round so it was a swing for Alex Laughlin because, remember, Laughlin's had bad luck this year. Gainesville, he's in the final with the better car against Butner, and the thing won't start. You know, he's had a couple of wacky things. 
Sonoma makes the final and forgets to shut off the the uh, burnout rev limiter in the car. So the luck had gone against him, swung his way in Indy for Erica. She's waiting for that break, and frankly, you know, if if she gets her break in the in the turn of luck, uh, starting in Reading, it it would be the right time for her. And I think she's going to be there at the end. We'll find out if the car, you know, if the car stays with her. I don't see her performance at all falling off behind the wheel, especially when the intensity ramps up. She seems built for it. Yeah, and in pro stock, you really have to be able to dial it up a lot more consistently than Jason does. Um, and, and maybe he will. I, I you know, I'm, I'm never – hey, Jason is – is a, he's such a smart guy. When I go talk to him in his trailer, he'll tell me a little more. He'll give me information that we can't talk about on TV. Sure. But, but – um, but, but he's very open about that, and that's always appreciated. And uh, and he's a likable guy. But what he did in Brainerd was was spectacular, and it's there. It's there. He can do it. But when you when you compete with Erica, um, you know, in that conversation are going to be Kramer, Greg Anderson, Bo Butner, and and it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see because what she has now is she has performance. They didn't have that several races ago so uh, it seems like a lot of these drivers are peaking at the right or maybe the wrong time for one another how about jerry savoie too jerry savoie like for whatever tim colungian figured out with that motorcycle on on sunday night into monday i mean that thing was a monster and the final round was bizarre with andrew making that slight move backwards and fouling out before the run but um it, that being said andrew did foul out but jerry savoie had enough had enough horse to compete with him head to head even if he didn't yeah, and you know, I thought about Jerry, and sorry about that. I thought about Jerry and his win, and and it's and I haven't talked to Tim. I'll I will be able to talk more with uh, Jerry after after the dust settles, after they you know finish enjoying you know their victory and get back to work. But it, it's it's more than a coincidence when you look at their performance, and and it just goes to show you that I'm pretty sure they're going to say, and whether they say it or not, sometimes you need only just do the math. Whatever they were testing, whatever they were trying, experimenting with, to me, it's more than a coincidence that they come to the U.S. Nationals and they qualify in the middle of the field and and then they come to life in the first round. To be honest with you, I've been trying to figure out what happened to this Savoie team. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, Karen Stouffer, she's had a good race or two, but she's on the machine that Ellie used to be on. Um, but the performance is just not what it used to be. And if they only went back to what they used to do, they'd be better. But I don't think that's good enough for some of these tuners. You know, they're constantly looking for the next best thing, for what will work better. And who knows where they go off down to the bayou to test. But (laughs) whatever they did, they they found it in the first round. And after that, I I knew it wasn't an accident. After that, and especially after they backed it up in the second round, I thought it's going to be hard to beat this guy. And it's not even Eddie. I, I know Eddie's having his problems. He doesn't have the kind of performance that he used to, but I thought the only guy that might be able to stop him is Andrew. Yeah, and uh, just a weird deal. For those of you that didn't see the final, uh, Andrew was very shallow staged, was and the bike made a made a, a move backwards, not like a, a violent move. It just kind of rocked backwards, and it was enough that it interrupted the uh, – or that it allowed the fully staged beam to reconnect across the racetrack. And once that happened, he was fouled out, and uh, Jerry Savoie went on to win basically unopposed in the final. So Jerry was super emotional at the top end, and it was great. I, I always love, like, the obviously everybody that wins a 
race typically is emotional. But when the racers that win Indy, um, we see what happens. Alex was crying when he won. Jerry was crying when he won. Doug Coletta uh, never has cried in his life, so he wasn't crying, but <laughs> he was super happy. Um, and and John was John was John. John was uh, non profane John Force, which was good for everybody. So, man, it was uh, it was an awesome week. Um, I'm I'm guessing because your son is now uh, a go-karting enthusiast. You guys are going karting this weekend on your weekend off after Indy? Yeah, I'm actually going to the Tasca show, uh, the car show that's his annual function um, this Saturday. We hope we don't get rained on, and then I fly back Saturday night, and then uh, at 6 o'clock we're heading to Newcastle to go racing. But he's racing karts until Glenn Cromwell allows Junior Funny Cars. And the second that he says, (laughs) okay, Tony, build one, I've got six guys waiting to build them right now and and with the hopes of just making some exhibition runs and maybe maybe one of these days hey Glenn and I if you're listening I haven't even told you this but it is the junior drag racing series featuring dragsters and funny cars and uh we'll talk uh if we if you hear this I'll probably be getting a call anyway but, uh, <laughs> but for now but for now it's cars and uh you're right Brian it was uh I think on a lot of levels uh, and i know the weather kind of played in and and made the race even longer and uh, it didn't work out the way the weatherman said but i think in the end it lived up to what it was hyped up to be and it was um, pretty spectacular and uh it started off with a bang right wj he uh he kicked things off by looping that uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> by looping that car so it was, it was a typical uh, dramatic action-packed u.s nationals Thank you very much, Tony Pedragon. Look forward to seeing you in uh, Reading, Pennsylvania. We can uh, wave to the Amish people on top of the hill watching the racing. We're going to wave to Larry Holmes. Yeah, man. Champion of the world. He's coming on Saturday, so we look forward to it. Bring a, uh, bring a boxing glove. We'll have him sign it. That'd be perfect, man. That'd be perfect. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks Tony. See you soon, Brian. See Thanks. Always great to chat with Tony. I spend uh, half my life talking to him anyway, but uh, he has great insights and, of course, his personal knowledge and his personal history in the sport uh, lends himself to be a great analyst and uh, a good friend. We have a lot of fun out there in the booth. So our second guest on this week's edition of the NHRA Insider Podcast is not an NHRA racer, not an NHRA uh, official, but he's an NHRA fan, and he and I are going to be spending our traditional most of a week together coming up here soon. It is David Freiberger. You know him from Roadkill and Hot Rod Magazine and the guy who created Drag Week, which is where we will be heading next week. David, what's going on? Oh, this is a calm before the storm week for me. I'm pretty much just sitting around waiting to fly to Virginia for the kickoff of this deal. We have been uh, kicking some ideas back and forth uh, amongst each other for stuff that we'll talk about on the live streaming broadcast of Drag Week. But uh, for those folks that are listening to the podcast that don't really understand what Drag Week is, give them the uh, give them the rundown. Well, it's been going on for 15 years, and basically it is the drag racing version of One Lap of America. That's where I ripped the idea off from. It is five drag strips in five days. And the key is we make the cars drive on the road from track to track. So it's a thousand mile trip. And this time we're running from Virginia Park through Cecil County, to Maryland, and then back to Virginia. Yeah. So uh, if you didn't uh, if you didn't quite catch that, Virginia Motorsports Park, uh, Cecil County Dragway, then we go to Atco Dragway, I believe. Uh, then we end up at Maryland International Raceway, and then right back down to uh, VMP, where the whole thing starts and ends. So uh, I'll be with you from Monday until Thursday, as has been tradition over the last several years. Because on Thursday I head up to uh, Reading for the uh, the NHRA race up there. So it's um and leave me dangling by the noose as you walk. Yeah. <laughs> it actually is. It is uh, one of the great traditions 
questions now on Friday is to listen to David. You can actually see the, the flop sweats begin before the, <laughs> before the Friday show starts. The sweating begins as David carries the load by himself on the, uh, on the final day. What should people expect when they're watching the live stream in terms of cars and stuff that they're going to see? Uh, well, first of all, they need to tune in, I guess, when is it? September. We probably go hot Monday the 9th, yeah. and it goes all the way through the 13th. And we'll be live every day in the morning. So I think we usually kick off right around 8 a.m. local time. Correct. And our cutoff will vary depending on weather and such, but we usually run till 1 or 2 o'clock. And then uh, you and I hit the car and hit the road and follow the cars from track to track. So as far as what people are going to see... It's going to be the battle for Hot Rod Magazine's fastest streetcar in America award. And so we've got guys who are trying to set the lowest possible ET over five days of racing at five different tracks. What we do is take their best ET from each day, add it up, divide it by the number of days that we race, and come up with an average at the end. And, and that's how we determine both the overall winner and class winners for, what do we have, like 13 different classes of racing? Yeah, there's a bunch of different classes, and uh, we don't have to go into the depth of all of them, but re- really the ones, the ones you want to know about are a class called Unlimited, which uh, shockingly is completely unlimited. And then we have uh, then we have a class called American Iron, which is a great uh, category, which is for steel-bodied cars. Basically, an unlimited version of this of a steel-bodied car class, where as long as it's got steel panels on it, then you can do whatever you want underneath it. Goes all the way down to a multitude of small tire style stock suspension classes. There's classes for gassers and hot rods, and there's even a class that is called Street Machine Eliminator that is designed for cars that uh, maybe aren't fast enough or hardcore enough to be a specific class race. But you can qualify in Street Machine Eliminator for a 32-car bracket race that gets run on Friday amongst the quickest 32 um, out of what is usually about 100 cars in Street Machine Eliminator. So it is a a huge variety of stuff. and, you know, for several years, there was a point where, you know, guys would break their car in testing and they'd show up with a rental car and just come out and do it that way. And largely that's gone away, David. You know, everybody that shows up now, whether it's their own personal pride or whatever, no one's really doing the rental car thing anymore. Everybody's showing up with something fast. Yeah, it's true. Uh, the attrition is interesting. You know, we have 400 cars that are allowed to race this thing, and we sell that out this year in less than seven minutes. Yeah. But then what happens over the months in between the registration day and race day is that we lose 100 to 200 cars just from people who can't get their stuff ready. And then we invite other people who are on the wait list, which actually crested 700 cars this year. And so we we discourage the rental car program. Actually, I think rental cars are technically illegal, but people used to be building their ProMod car and they wouldn't get it done at time and they would show up in their brand new Subaru. And there just isn't too much of that. As a matter of fact, I was looking recently at the average ET of a drag week car, keeping in mind that we have everything from literal six-second ProMods, slow ProMods, all the way down to stock cars. The average drag week car runs 1090s. There you go. That's, and, uh, that's crazy. And yeah, it's crazy. And if you look at the winning average ET as it's dropped from 2005 to 2018, I mean, 2005, the winning ET is, do you remember what it was? Troy oh, Scott? Uh, Troy Scott was averaged, I remember he averaged either somewhere in the low nines or the high eights. 858 there was you go. his winning average. 858. Yeah. yeah, And, and our quickest yeah. ever in 2016 was a 619 average and uh, 686 last year. 
So it's gotten really serious. Yeah, it has. And and what's you know what's interesting, and, and for those of you listening, you're going to watch this on YouTube, by the way. It's going to be on the Motor Trend channel on YouTube. That's where you're going to tune in to watch it. You don't need to be a Motor Trend app subscriber to watch. It is free to all, um, mainly because of the high level of the uh, entertainment that you'll receive from David and I. Uh, if they charge for this, exactly. if they charge for this, they would be there would be uh, calls for people's heads. But we have a good time. But just to go back to the level of competition, uh, there is a category, uh, the 850 category, which is street race, small block power adder, I believe is the class we're talking about here. And this is not an index class per se, but it has turned into an index class. And David, you can speak to this where funny car cagers are not allowed in this category. So you cannot run an 849 and hand in your time slip. You have to run as close to 850 as possible. And we have seen this turn into a, just a, a knife fight every year. Guys averaging 8.50 blank over the course of five days. It's mental. It is. It's incredible. You know, all of the cars are required to pass NHRA safety tech, and we don't let them hand in time slips that are quicker than that. And if they routinely run way beyond their tech legal speed, then we got to throw them out. And so, as you say, this particular class is designed for like bolt on type muscle cars. So these are stock suspension cars with an 850 regular, regular cage in them, and they're running. 850x all week long and the special deal that we've got going on this time and i think this is going to be the first time it's been publicly announced is that the top eight cars in that class at drag week are getting going to get an automatic invitation to run exhibition at an upcoming nhra national event i think it's going to be charlotte so that's going to be very cool and these are the types of cars people gravitate to as well we're talking steel-bodied stuff they're not all hacked to pieces they don't have weird you know promod-esque bodies and stuff on them and you know by and large most of these things are home built in terms of their power plants as you'd expect a lot of turbocharged ls engines but you know there's multiple ways to get the job done but it's a uh to me it's a class that really highlights kind of one of the most popular elements or the most popular facets of drag racing these days which is something that looks like it should have looked coming out of the factory, if you will, and has power that enough power that you can actually build an eight second engine at your house anymore. It's insane. Yeah, it is ridiculous. It is a class for twin turbo LS cars. You've got to admit it. There, are, I can't think of too many other combinations that are at the top of that class. And uh, I think basically what you're looking at is a bunch of eight twenties cars who have figured out how yes. to run right on the. <laughs> Number. Yeah, <laughs> guys, guys that would guys that would absolutely tear their shirts off and punch you in the face if you call them a bracket racer, but guys who are very clearly mastering the art of bracket racing their cars. <laughs> but there's something about it that you know. Oh no, it's I'm great. Not a huge fan of index racing, but this is. Di- yeah, well, it's, I, it's small tire cars. They're wheels up. They're sideways on the track, and they're out there battling down to these numbers. And the fact that they can do it five days, five different sets of weather conditions at five different tracks, and average 850X, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, and I think the reality is what we see with this class is what people saw when ProGas first came out back in the day in the 70s, right? When ProGas first came out, there was no such thing as a throttle stop or anything, and every car out there was running as fast as they could to go 990, and it actually was exciting. It's just when it got scienced out, it, it turned into the you know it turned into not a spectator sport anymore as far as index racing goes, but. This is, to me, the type of index racing that is brilliant to watch. I mean, the cars are cool. There's a level of unpredictability with them because of the tire. Um, you know, in terms of the operating drag week, uh, to give you guys a sense of how it works is, you know, David said we typically go live at about 8 a.m. on the live broadcast. And then normally by 9, the staging lanes are open. And the staging lanes close at 2. So in the morning, 
You'll see all of the dedicated cars that are running specific categories in the staging lanes, including the unlimited cars and uh, machines like the ones we're talking about. And then basically at lunchtime, we close the lanes and bring in all of the cars that are running in Street Machine Eliminator. So they have a dedicated session. Then we open the lanes for everybody for about the last hour and a half. And the level of drama does actually ramp up over the course of the day because you know this as well as I do, David. When you get down to that last half hour, there are people either scrambling to get their cars fixed to try to get down the track or, in the case of this uh, street race small block power adder class, they're hot lapping trying to get something as close as they can to 850. Yeah. Well, that is really the thing about it that an NHRA fan has to wrap his head around is that once we're done racing for the day, the guy's got to pack everything up in that car and drive it 200 miles to the next track. And it's really a battle of attrition and survival. So these things not only have to be fast, but they have to be reliable. The, the field fixes and things that go on are pretty incredible. So one of the things that I've always loved about this race and we, about Drag Week, and we don't see it that often, but we did see it last year, is when a guy takes a legitimate um, sportsman drag car and just basically makes the horn and headlights and stuff work and then just takes it on the road. It's it's fantastic because of how horrendously brutal it is on the passengers and, and then just surviving in it a week. Um, and there are some NHRA racers doing that this year. Um, the guy's name is completely escaping me at the moment, but he has a um, he has a super street car that uh, they have made street legal. They're going to bring a, they're going to change the center chunk in the car every day from a race center chunk to a street center chunk as far as a gear ratio goes. And they're doing it, in my opinion, they're doing it old school because uh, if we go back to that first year with Troy Scott um, and, and what they did, uh, they were doing that every day. Remember, they, remember they, they would switch the entire intake manifold and carburetor over. They would switch the center chunk. They'd oh, yeah. bolt the windows in and out of it. I mean, for Everybody that has ever won this event has put in a lot of work, but I don't think anybody has worked as hard as those guys. Well, we've seen a lot of innovations like that. As a matter of fact, I think Drag Week has helped the aftermarket in R&D quite a bit for survivability of parts, especially valve train, fuel yeah. pump, torque converters. You remember Eddie Miller of one year would change his rocker stance on his big block Mopar every single day, and yeah. he had a 1.2 ratio rocker arm made just so that he could drive the thing on the street and not break valves brings and of course the epicness of all time and i have to bust these guys up because they're not showing up this year is when richie crampton and johnny Lindbergh built that yes insane alcohol funny car motor in a 56 chevy wagon and the genius of this thing was that it had the supercharger on it just like a funny car motor and in the intake manifold they put a throttle body and efi so the thing they could take the belt off keep the blower from rotating and run the thing on gasoline on EFI to drive the thing from track to track proved to not be a very successful car overall. I'm dying to see the thing again, but that was, drag week innovation. Like I've rarely seen. Yeah, it was beyond ridiculous. And those two guys, you know, to me, when you see guys like that out there, because the thing about drag week as well, there's no purse, there's no money. There's you, you literally win a jacket and a guitar and a pat on the back and some race fuel. If you, you know, if you win your category and, uh, or win overall. So when you see the uh, Larry Dixon, you see a Richie Crampton, you see uh, Johnny Lindbergh or any number of racers that come out and, and hang out or participate, it validates them in some way too, because they're as into this, like they're genuinely into the sport. They're generally into being a hot rodder. And it's a, uh, it's something I think that everybody wins over because one, the event gets uh, gets a couple of different looks when you have this crazy car that they're bringing out. But two, I think it, it places the drivers in a much different light, um, both with the other competitors and their fans when they see them out there doing something that they're seriously only doing because they love it. Yeah, 
No, it is pretty great. Uh, overall, I'm really happy how NHRA has sort of involved itself in this thing. I mean, we've done some nice over the past couple of years being able to be on the, the web show and some of the racers coming out. And, of course, at U.S. Naps just last week, we were able to do the exhibition with some of our top guys. I mean, Bailey and Goldstone and uh, who else is there? Schroeder. Schroeder, Barry. Dave Barry, yeah. Uh, Joe Barry, I should say, yeah, yes. I, they only got one round because of the weather, I believe. But still, the fact that NHRA invited them out was super cool to me. And this new crossover with the small tire cars is going to be pretty epic. Yeah, and, and yeah, the schedule for Indy just went completely off the rails almost immediately. So, yeah, they only got one hit in. Um, I think they all had a good experience. I was able to pop over there once or twice and say hello. But where they were pitted at, there was a constant flow of people hovering around those cars. And uh, it's great. You know, when we think back to the very first one in 2000 five and frankly it's really pretty much where i met you um you know when in our you know friendship for better or worse was struck up there but um you know i remember you standing there we were at um we were at the first racetrack where the thing started and you were standing on the back of a pickup truck talking to a very small handful of people i believe there was only 41 cars that started that event about 36 or 37 yeah, at finished. kcir right yeah, yeah. At, uh-huh. a, at a drag strip that doesn't even exist anymore yeah kansas city international raceway and Yep. It was it was an interesting experience that first one because as the week went on, the conversations like a lot of the conversations turned into like what could this possibly become? And even the boldest thinkers in the room didn't didn't envision this. No, not at all. I specifically remember you, me, and a couple of other guys on the very last day and that last evening sitting around the table with the beers going, That was incredible. How can this possibly ever get better? Yeah. And look at it now. It's I think some of the racers would argue that it's not necessarily better because it's got so big and it doesn't have, uh, I don't know, a, a sort of niche little group feel like it used to, but it does. And it also feels like 50s drag racing where everybody is out to help each other. It is very much a scenario where anybody is going to help the guy who's just about to take him down in the next round. It's almost more like land speed racing than drag racing, I think. Yeah, and and honestly, you know, there have been you know imitation being the sincerest form of flattery. There's been there have been other events that have come around, other events that have sprung up, and they're doing well. And Drag Week continues to do well. Um, but like land speed racing, I honestly feel that the, the the lack of prize money is what keeps this thing the way it is. Because if you're doing it to try to make a buck, don't bother. So no, everybody, it's like when you go to Bonneville, you see people that have any, anything from, you know, a thousand bucks invested in their 50 CC bike to, you know, millions of dollars invested into, into streamliners and stuff like that. And the one common thread is they're only there because they want to be there, you know, and that's, well, a, it's the same bring, for drag week. I'll bring up the thing that, you know, that I have struggled with for years, which is the fact that it's not really a drag race. It is time trials. It is not head to head racing. It's all about ET. Very much like Bonneville, it's, it's just one car on the track, yeah. and it's about mile an hour, and it's a mile an hour bigger than the last guy who ran in the same class. It's exactly the same thing. We run cars side by side for the fun of it, but really, it doesn't matter what's happening in the other lane. And I sometimes feel like that takes a little bit of an edge off. I would like to see it be a little bit more cutthroat side by side racing. But others have said no. I mean, that's the beauty of it. That's the uniqueness of it is that it is a time trial, which means, as you know, 
you do have to cut light to be somebody at drag queen. Right. Yeah, you, you don't. You, yeah, you don't have to, and most people don't don't even bother trying. But I also think it lends a dramatic element of uh, of it to us as being able to tell the story because you really get to focus. Um, you get to focus on a different element of drag racing than normal. Like, you know, if you get the two guys up there and they're running head to head, we got to start talking about reaction time and all the other stuff. When we can strip some of those layers away, you can tell a different story. We can talk more about the car or the person or the fact that the guy had to put, you know, swap, uh, put three pistons in the thing at the hotel parking lot overnight. And that's really the last point I want to get to uh, talking about drag week is, you know, we joke about it all the time, but like it is a level of, of human suffering on some level that is just unparalleled. I mean, last year we had those monsoon rains that everyone was fighting their way through. But what can you recollect as being your most impressed uh, moment in terms of somebody going over the top with a mechanical fix on the side of the road? Ooh, over the top with a mechanical fix at the side of the road. Okay, this isn't side of the road, but I think you'll recall the moment I do where a guy had a Buick Grand National. And to stay in competition, you have to fire your car up and actually stage it and take the bulb. Yes. And this guy wanted to stay in competition no matter what, and he had fragged the V6 in his Grand National. He put one cylinder head on the thing and the intake manifold and blocked off the other ports and literally only had one head on the engine and got it running on three cylinders and actually staged the car and took the bulb. It, that was all time. Insane. Insane. Yeah. I, I remember... And, you know, from the very first one, there was two that two moments that uh, stuck out with me. One is Steve Atwell. Uh, this very first drag week, this guy named Steve Atwell that you know very well from Michigan shows up with an honest to god real Hurst Hemi Dart. One of the one of the one of the first fifty made a car that in some you know in many ways is is almost priceless. Um, you know, had the and it was as it was delivered. He put a taller rear tire on it, but that was it. I mean, it had a four eighty eight gear I think in it, and it had obviously a four twenty six Hemi. We're in the middle of Ohio. He's had a problem with a lifter, I think, going away. So I, we were at a BP gas station with this car that's a priceless museum piece, and he's got the engine yard sailed across the parking lot of this thing to, to replace this lifter. And it was like, this is this can't be happening right now. And he finished the week in that thing, as brutal as it was. And the other one, of course, was 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 um, Carl Scott. Was Carl Scott uh, that first year again in Bowling Green? The nitrous engine went lean, and he melted basically all the pistons out of it, and they, right. they put eight new slugs in it, and he rolled into Columbus, Ohio within, I think he only had 20 minutes to actually make the morning deadline the next day, and I remember he idled that thing in, and, and the group of us stood there and gave him a standing ovation because, you know, who does that? Now everybody does it because that's drag week, but in 2005, that was unheard of. Yeah, and those stories just repeat every day, every week, every year. It's incredible. As far as the human spring goes, though, I think probably the highlight of that is you having to announce the thing next to me for a week. <laughs> well, I, I use various so I, 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 I use various I means. Say for, <laughs> sorry to interrupt, but I, I got to tell the NHRA fans that are listening that you have seen the thing of the track. You've seen him on Fox. You have to see the Brian Lones <laughs> that is busting my chops for a week at Drag Week. Because I won't say that it's loans completely unhinged, but it is, I would say, way more free form than you will find at a professional event. Well, yeah, I think it's it's part it part it's partly therapy for both of us, but it also it's partly putting us in therapy because we we absolutely just just wail on each other all week long in good fun. But it is. Uh, uh, we have definitely found another gear as far as insults. By the time we get to Wednesday, it's it's pretty much over. 
I wish that people actually could see what goes on in the car as we drive from track to track. <laughs> I that don't. Would probably be <laughs> some sort of violation of some rule somewhere. Yeah, we do. Uh, you know, as David mentioned, we follow the route that the competitors do, and they, and they are handed route directions every day. Um, they have to follow a specific set of directions in order to make sure that they're getting the proper mileage in, uh, and that everybody's uh, everybody's following the same stuff. So David and I follow that, and you know, we like we do it for a couple reasons. One, because it's an awesome road trip. You get to see you know really nice spots in America that you would never see otherwise. And two, we do it because uh, we get to stay up on all the stories. You get to pull over and see that some guy you know hit a deer and it ripped all the lines off the transmission of his car or uh you know or somebody's uh, got to easy up and they flatten the camshaft and they're, they're changing that in the side of the road so you know for me that's that's one of the neatest things for us is we get to actually get out there and interact with people as they're either experiencing a cool high or a very low low well and where else in the world can you see a probot car hauling its own trailer and changing parts at the side of the road yeah, Tom Bailey, uh, Tom Bailey, Dave Ahokas over the years has been a lot of them, and, and of course Tom will be back this year. And yeah, no, it's a, it is a, it is an event that really legitimately is unlike anything else in the world, and you can watch it all on the, on the Motor Trend channel on YouTube, and that is going to start on Monday, September 9th, about 8 a.m. Eastern time. We'll be live, and every single day of the action will be live there, and it uh, definitely something you want to check out. Me and Fry Ruger will be. Uh, probably making you cry with with painful jokes or whatever but uh it's worth the price of admission which for you guys is going to be free thanks man thank you thanks for you and for which by the way i'd be remiss if i did not thank gear vendors by the way our title sponsored this entire thing who's making this live be possible thank you rick johnson yeah rick johnson's great gear vendors and and that's a product that most of the competitors the real fast ones use and it's a auxiliary overdrive transmission that you can have your bomb proof turbo 400 you can bolt your gear vendors to the back of it and end up with a great deep overdrive so rather than uh buzzing the motor to 33 grand 3500 on the highway you can be uh down in the more sensible thing and you can you know you can eat five miles per gallon out of the thing instead of four and a half (laughs) (laughs) david freiberger thank you so much and uh make sure you tune in check them out on roadkill on the motor trend app when you get a chance and david i will see you next week thank you see you in a few days thanks man so a great conversation with David Freiberger leads us into another great conversation, I assume will be a great conversation, with another one of my friends, Wes Buck, the founder and editor-in-chief of Drag Illustrated Magazine. Wes, thanks for coming on the Insider Podcast. Thank you, Brian, man. It's an honor, dude, to follow up Freiberger. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, no. The pressure's on. This is a three-fur episode. So we Tony hit leadoff today, then I had David on, and now you're hitting third. So you're, you're hitting cleanup, man. It's going to be good. Cleanup, just how I like <laughs> it, baby. Just how I like it. Me and Mark McGuire. <laughs> I like your enthusiasm. So, uh, obviously, the topic's been the U.S. Nationals, amongst other things, today. And you were there. Um, you you lived it like the rest of us did. So, I guess the first thing I want to talk to you about is is uh, the Pro Stock Final or the Pro Stock Race in general, because I know you're down there in the starting line. It was the it was the nuttiest thing I think I've ever seen. It really was, man, and it was nutty on a slew of different levels because it was nutty in just the overall result, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, how often does a guy in what I believe to be one of the most competitive classes ever in eliminators that has ever existed, pro stock, yeah. to win the final at the U.S. Nationals with a 120 reaction time? <laughs> it's like, holy cow, man. I mean, but it was just this weird weird kind of whirlwind of emotions brian because you in one i i mean i don't think it's any huge secret that i'm uh pretty close with all with the yeah, motorsports camp richard freeman and i go way back and 
Um, we work on a ton of stuff together, and I'm a big fan of Erica Enders, and I'm also a huge fan of Alex Laughlin. I think these two uh, young cats are are some of the best things going in drag racing Agreed. right now. And to see them both down there, especially knowing how fierce the competition has been in the kind of runaway train that has been KB Racing, right? Greg Anderson, Jason Line, Bo Butner just seem to kind of be making fools out of everybody. And to see those two cars in the final at the, you know, the pinnacle event in drag racing for all the marbles was, was so exciting in itself. And then to see how it shook out was uh, overwhelming, man. I, I was so happy for Alex. No matter how you get it done at Indy, you got it done at Indy. A hundred percent correct. A hundred percent correct. It doesn't matter. I mean, it really doesn't matter. And I try to, these are those two, especially and most, this is something that most drag racers, I believe share character trait wise is, you know, they're really hard on themselves. And Alex, I could see it in his face that he was almost struggling to win it or, or to embrace the victory because it wasn't like his lights out win when he's winning on a whole shot. Right. Right. When he, when he earned it, right. The car did its thing, but he really did his thing. And I think that it's a different kind of thing for these guys when they, when maybe they, they didn't perform at the level that they wanted to. And I think he was having a hard time embracing the fact that I think Erica went what double out nine or something. Yeah. She was double Oh seven. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Double Oh seven cleaned his clock on the starting line. And but it's a win at Indy, and we were all encouraging, like, "Hey, man, this is—it doesn't get any bigger than this, you know." And the the momentum that Erica Enders had throughout the day, oh god, I think that made it especially hard, yeah, for Freeman, you know, Richard, Royce Lee, Royce Senior, the whole crew there, Robert, especially hard for them to kind of swallow that because I think they just thought they had it covered, man. And it was tough because I I could see the despair a little bit on that whole elite camp's face because they wanted it so bad they could taste it i mean it was right there for the taking and i spoke to mark ingersoll who kind of serves as team crew chief for all those elite cars and he told me wes one in a thousand times that thing's gonna pop out of gear like that yeah. you know you could go make a thousand right. runs and it's not gonna happen <laughs> right. again and of course it's gonna happen in the final at indy but you know i think as soon as they realized in the moment and then it happens fast right sure we, okay we lost but our teammate won not only did our teammate win our customer won yeah who, who has really been kind of having a breakout year and the way the weekend had went for him with pro mod and the fact that he brought hot wheels to the to the table yeah, and huge. He, he'd done all this work and there'd been so much pomp and circumstance and hype leading up to the event that it seemed fitting that alex was in the was in the winner's circle at the end of the day yeah i agree and um uh, I don't want this to sound totally self-serving. And I don't think it will, but I think there are a small there are a small group of people that I put I put you in, I put Alex, and I put myself in it. To be honest, that are what I would consider like bridge builders in drag racing, right? Like like trying to kind of link some of these pieces together. Because as as I love the fact that our sport is as um, uh, I don't want to say fractured, but is as diverse as it is. But I also understand that the stronger we are. Uh, we are stronger when there are links together. So, like, I look at Alex winning the U.S. Nationals and winning Lights Out in the same year, and I see that as, like, a fantastic bridge um, of people that, you know, because before he wins Lights Out, there are people that aren't going to pay any attention to Pro Stock. And before he wins in Pro Stock, maybe people aren't going to pay as much attention to the radial stuff. And I think it's important, super important for guys like him to succeed and have success like he's had on two big 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 platforms this year because it helps to unify the sport in my opinion 
Brian, I love drag racing like yeah. you, right? And I love this sport in every sh- shape, form, fashion, h- however you want to slice it. I love this sport and I love the people in it. And I feel like, I mean, not to go on a political tirade, but it's kind of the world we live in right now. Yeah. It's divisive. And I just, you know, not to sound like a fruit loop or, you know, get on here and start chanting <laughs> no, kumbaya, <laughs> but it, it really, I'm an inclusive guy. Yeah. I'm a more the merrier guy. And I agree. I have challenged the NHRA. I challenged, you know, any promoter. We can accomplish a lot more work working together we're all really doing a lot of the same things we're fighting the same battles sure it's different sure sometimes the lights are brighter or the stakes yeah. are higher whatever the case may be but i think that we're all driving fast in a straight line we're, we're trying to do you know we're doing battle on the quarter mile the the thousand foot the eighth mile and it's just it, it's better when we're all kind of swimming the same direction i preach it inside my company inside my various business business uh, uh dealings that if we don't have a shared vision, if we don't, if we aren't all headed the same direction, everybody's kind of serving their own master, even yeah. subconsciously. No one means to do it. No one sets out to to burn the bridge. Right. But if you don't have a clear, defined goal that we want to grow and build a sport of drag racing and, and across all walks of it, if you don't have that and you're kind of catering to your own deal and, and some of that's inherent, but man, it's it's easy for this thing to fracture you know, rapidly. So I agree a million percent, man. I think that's what Alex has probably, he really represents a new breed of wheel men, you know, because yeah. historically drivers that really became superstars, they were really good at one particular thing, Grumpy Jenkins or Warren Johnson or, or Lee Shepard. Those were pro stock guys. And then you got Shannon Jenkins and Scotty Cannon, and yeah. Mike Castellano, and they're pro mod guys, right? And then you got Tony Schumacher and Don Garlitz and those are top fuel guys, right? And I think the fact that that Alex has been so successful in a multitude of disciplines is great for the sport of drag racing. And I, it's funny, and I'm not trying to derail us, but I actually had a conversation uh, with uh, with a kind of a, a, a fabled character right now, a, a notorious character in our sport right now, uh, Justin Big Chief Shear nice. last night. And yeah. we were talking just about, you know, this is as big of a star as it gets in the Street Outlaws, Discovery Channel, whole world, right? No prep kings. And he talked about it. He goes, man, a lot of times I feel like I'm doing exactly what Charles Carpenter was doing and Scotty, Carp- Scotty Cannon yeah. was doing 20 years ago. Like I'm, I'm driving the same highways and byways. I'm doing match races on Wednesday nights for chump change. I'm, you know, I'm signing, I'm doing the same thing. So a lot of these guys share a journey. There's a lot of similarities, more similarities than differences in my opinion. So I agree a million percent, man, a little bit of a long winded answer, but you're exactly right. Can you give me a, uh, an example, a memory, something that you saw over the course of the time at the U.S. Nationals that maybe, uh, you know, something you saw in the pits that was cool, something you saw a thrash that was cool, something that may not be front page news, but something that struck you as kind of a very indie thing? I, I think that indie is this, it's a coming together on a lot of levels. When I And this is almost embarrassing for me to admit, but I didn't watch that much racing this past weekend. I really spend a lot of my time in the pits. I spent a lot of my time uh, at dinner sure. with people and seeing people and in various trailers and lounges and motorhomes and whatever, because it's a real significant coming together. Not only is there all these nostalgic you know, faces that, that are on the property, but there's just a lot of industry movers and shakers there and business is being done. And that stuff just it lights my fire for whatever. When I feel movement and energy, it's just exciting. There's a lot of marketing bigwigs there. You know, all the NHRA brass is on hand, of course, you know, and it's just it feels like 
man, we are, this is a, it makes this is me a thing. kind of puff yeah. my chest out, yeah. right? Because it reminds me of PRI or SEMA or whatever. Whenever I make a new hire or I'm bringing someone new into the industry, the first thing I do is try to get them to indie or, or to PRI or SEMA because I need people to immediately understand that we are not a bunch of hillbillies. Yeah. You know, we are. This is a much more polished. The the scale of this thing is far greater than most people realize. And I think Indy is a shining example of just the strength of our industry. Whether it's how many cars are there, dude. I don't know where what these people do to buy these trucks and trailers, but <sighs> I'm I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. But it's just it's it's unbelievable. Just you start to think about the money that is there and the business that's being done, and it's. It, it's in my opinion it's like electrifying man and i think if i had one takeaway and this is an off the track takeaway and it's not necessarily a pit thrash but i promise you it has been a thrash the work that a select group of pro mod racers have done wow. over the course of the last five years to try to to try to just push this thing down the aisle and to kind of see it getting close to kind of see what was a, a a group of exhibition racers become a professional category, but still kind of fight for their place inside the NHRA landscape or yep. on the NHRA landscape, to, you know, and to know the the Danny Rose and the Steve Matusics and the Troy Coughlin's and the the John Waldies and the people that kind of put this real pro mod association together in 2013, and to see them kind of pass the torch and hand over the baton to the NHRA to, to take this class, this eliminator that so many of us know and love. I believe it's one of the most cult-followed categories oh, yeah. in drag racing. Fact. To see it kind of becoming part of the the, the scene on a high-level deal, um, it, it's it's amazing, man. And I'll tell you, I was lucky enough to be you know, a part of a handful of meetings that were kind of guiding this thing and, and bouncing ideas around. And it was a really neat feeling to be standing. It was, it was weird, Brian, and I got to describe it. It, it was, uh, what morning did it rain? Saturday morning or Sunday uh, morning? It seemed like all of them, but uh, so yeah. I believe it was, sa- pick one, Saturday or Sunday, either way. It's yeah, like- <laughs> Saturday or Sunday morning. It's Unfortunately, it's all running together. But I get this text uh, from Steve Matusik, and it says, very important meeting in my pit at 1 30 so this is just after lunch i guess and he said and so i get over there uh, about 15 till and he says hey can you please help me round up the racers tell them it's important so john waldy heads right out of steve's pit i head left uh i'm hollering out the window of my truck telling people please you know get down to, to steve's pit we're gonna have a powwow right so i get back over there and here they come and, and it's ricky and eric latino and stevie jackson and doug winters and scotty oaksis and you know they start trickling in right and the next thing i know we are standing in the rain brian it's raining on us we're not under an awning for whatever reason we didn't go in the trailer i still don't know why we didn't step out of the rain but it seems fitting almost yeah. you know like what they say about if it rains on your wedding day or something, you know, yeah, just it's a good luck. You know, thing, it yeah. just felt like okay, we're going to stand in the rain. And Steve Matusik kind of took center stage, and and in all fairness, it laid out not an official announcement, not a you know concrete rubric for the future, but basically just acknowledged to the group that we did it. We incubated this program. We did what we said we were going to do, and the NHRA is prepared to take it over. The NHRA is prepared, and I don't know that everybody understands maybe what that means, but in the years past, you know, things such as round money and 
uh, for the racers and you know sponsorship efforts. All that was done by the racers. It, it, the NHRA allowed uh, NHRA allowed this group of racers, the Real Pro Mod Association, led by Danny Rowe, who we we can't say enough about in this particular situation because it wouldn't exist without him, um, who is no longer racing though. They were driving the bus on all this stuff. When there was a sponsor announced for a pro mod race, that was a deal made by this group of racers. They were going out, beating the brush, yeah. calling in favors, doing all they had to do to make sure that there was round money, to make sure that you know there was some sort of you know name attached to what was going on, and the class was headed you know on the in the right direction, moving forward. And to kind of see the NHRA go, hey guys, we got it from here. It felt significant on a lot of levels, man, and, and it, it wasn't a world record run, but I do think that w the work that was done in Indy this past weekend as it relates to pro mod drag racing will be seismic. I, you know, the, yeah, the talk I, of I, I agree. removing car count, removing car quotas, you know, outside of when we're, you know, we're landlocked, right? Um, but as the space will allow letting kind of the floodgates open, the, the grade point system, which is a sportsman function going away, the, you know, some of these things. And if you want to go race pro mod at the NHRA Gator Nationals next year, come one, come all. I guarantee that deal is going to be pandemonium yes pandemonium <laughs> yeah and i think um you know to me it is yeah I, I i it's it's a lot bigger deal than you know you and i are, are lucky in the fact that we are you know kind of in the trenches of different elements of this sport so you, you have an understanding maybe of things that even a hardcore fan doesn't get in terms of logistics and in terms of some of the the kind of nuts and bolts of of how the sport works but you know, you and I are both about the same age. You and I were spending time around the IHRA races during the the real my my opinion the real heyday of the pro mod class there. Absolutely. And when you had fifty cars showing up trying to qualify, you know, as as much as we've had these these thirty two, thirty four, thirty six car fields coming into the to the races when RPM was in charge of that, um, it's different now because you don't have to be a member of the group. So you're going to start seeing th this is a way for people that are really good racers that no one's heard of before to establish themselves and make a name for themselves. And I think that's the thing I'm most excited about, you know, as well Me as too. I do, like as well as, you know, as well as I do, there is, there are regional pro mod racers around this country that are very good, very, very good, but no one has ever heard of them before. And as soon as one of those or two of those guys upset a Ricky Smith or outrun a Steve Matuzic or, you know, beat whoever you want to, whoever you want to name, all of a sudden people are start talking about them. And that's, that really, to me, starts to supercharge the growth of the class that already, to me, is is very healthy. I think I couldn't agree more. And I, and it's no secret that I'm like the ultimate pro modified fan. I truly believe it's the universal language of our sport. It's it's a class that thrives from sea to shining sea, but also around the globe. And I, I just I can't really say enough about what I think this means for the future. It's this is a class that keeps chassis shops open, keeps you know, engine builders busy and, and driveline manufacturers rocking and rolling all year long. And I just, I'm excited to see what this means. There's some news that I think is going to be breaking. There's talks of like a manufacturer's cup type of situation, similar to the constructors championship okay. with formula one racing. There's talk of something like that, where some of these teams that are based out of the middle East or maybe based out of Puerto Rico or the Dominican Republic or wherever Brazil that, that may have to, except racing a, a reduced schedule because of the because of the travel burden or whatever for them to be able to go ahead and field a full-time operation but slide someone else in that car from time to time or put a hired gun driver in it or 
rent the seat right. for for two or three races a year. Not to it would not replace the NHRA championship as far as a, a driver is concerned, but kind of a secondary function. I think that's really forward thinking. I think it's exciting to talk about. I mean, I'm sure you're going to have people that have uh, you know strong opinions on either side of it, but just the fact that there's movement around that whole situation and it's and it's good news i mean i know that you're a student in this sport as much as i am if not more and you know almost every off season there would be this little bit of doom and gloom like what's going to happen with oh my god man it was it was like a 10-year stretch that that was every winter Every winter, every winter you, was like, oh, it's going away. No, it isn't. And then, like, some years it would be announced early, and then some years it would be like five minutes before Gainesville. Oh, by the way, you know, Pro Model exists this year because of X, Y, Yeah, come on out. You guys park right over there. And yeah. it's, I think that that's really exciting. And Indy just it produces happenings like that, whether it's, you know, sponsorship announcements or retirements or whatever. It's just a fitting place for big news like that. And I think that that's going to be a landmark happening. And again, it didn't happen on the racetrack, but it, it will be a landmark happening. And I guess I can't, I, I would, I don't, I'm not uh, as tuned in to nitro racing as you are likely and, and many others, but I will say that it was just, I kind of caught myself, I stepped into the media center kind of at the end of the day on Monday and I look over and they're interviewing John Force, Joe Costello, Costello is interviewing John Force and I'm going, man, this guy still does this like better than anybody. It's, (laughs) it's really shocking. You know, the longevity alone, the enthusiasm and the the longevity alone is breathtaking, man. So I didn't want to get through that whole spiel without giving, you know, uh, the old man his due 151 strong and doing it at Indy was pretty impressive. Yeah. And, you know, I think the other, uh, you know, the other one more point to put on the end of the ProMod conversation is, we're always at least in my mind we're always looking to build the path like what's the path for someone to get from their humble sportsman roots to the top levels of drag racing like what is the what is the route and i my opinion is you know bringing the pro mod category into the nhra fold you know as an official piece uh has benefits far outside of just participation but it all it, it's a it's a path so you don't necessarily have to go run an alcohol funny car anymore or an alcohol dragster to try to move up t- towards the fuel ranks. I think my opinion, I think the path almost diverts itself through pro mod at this point, you know, and we've seen how many fuel racers up there right now that have run pro mods over the course of time. And, you know, JR's driven pro mods, uh, Matt Hagen, Leah, I, I remember Matt. watching Matt Hagen cut his teeth, you know, behind the wheel of a, a supercharged 63 Corvette and in a, in a big dog car out in yeah. Piedmont prior to that, you know, and it's, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I, again, man, I think that what we're going to see happen and not that it hasn't, cause I, I don't want to shortchange the successes of no, anybody that has not. come prior to this, but I'm telling you next year, this thing is going to start looking different. And I just, I'm excited. I think that inclusion my hope and there's you know this is a double-edged sword as we're seeing with you know some of these super teams coming in because there are going to be casualties right the cream's always going to rise to the top and Absolutely. some of these guys you know are are gonna ultimately uh you know give it up and say man i can't stevie jackson this guy's a pro racer i got nothing for this dude i really don't um and and but that's why these other series and sanctions exist and i think we're going to see pro modified you know more so than it is right now nhra pro modified i, I gotta guess uh e3 spark plugs nhra pro modified presented by jna service it's the final frontier dude i mean it's yeah. if you race fast door slammers 
that's the final frontier. That's where you want to be. And we're going to see that only uh, kind of be doubled down on in 2020. Yeah. And I think the other point, too, is, uh, you know, as far as racers that may not, you know, typically now, if you've wanted to run the class, you've, you've, you know, you basically become an RPM member. You've, you've paid whatever the price is to do that. And you're into, you're into compete. So for someone who is a very, is a very strong racer that maybe only wanted to run a couple of races a year, it didn't make any sense, you know? So like, so as many as much as we may see some people pack it in and and move on down the road, which happens all the time in racing, we will see other people that go. You know what? Yeah, I don't have anything near Stevie Fast budget or ability, but I do have good parts and a good head on my shoulders, and I can do this two or three times a year and have a lot of fun. And those are the guys that I'm excited to see. Like to me, the most the most fun question you can ever ask at a drag race when you watch a run and you have to look at the guy next to you and go, "Who the hell was that?" You know what I mean? I know. And right? I feel like I feel like we're going to have a lot of "Who the hell was that?" moments next year in Promont. I think we are, man, and it's it continues to produce, uh, you know, electrifying moments. And I guess we'd be crazy not to mention that I don't know how your summer shook out, but mine in, involved a whole lot of conversations about the rules in ProMod, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it was like to see that deal uh, shake out like it did. Jose Gonzalez doesn't qualify, yeah, right? Doesn't qualify first time in his career on the outside looking in. You know, the turbo cars clearly took a took a boot to the teeth. Um, <laughs> yes, but, they did. You know, it, yeah. but I mean, Steve Ricky Smith qualifies number one, but in typical drag racing fashion, the fastest car didn't win. Mike Castellana, you know, who's been there since the the e you know er, er, early days, uh, comes out victorious. Man, I mean, it's just I think that's such a special class, and uh, between what what happened there and in pro stock alone uh pretty magical weekend man it's been i've been going to indy i think this was 15 years i don't pay as nice. close of attention to that stuff but i think it was 15 years in a row that i've made the the six and a half hour drive over there and i it's weird how much it gets me i just enjoy it from start to finish whether we're getting rained on or whether it's 200 degrees or somewhere in between it's just a fun place to be man i mean yep. i heard you saying it on the tv like or on the tv show or whatever i was watching it and it was like you're 20 minutes from this glorious downtown area with all yeah. these restaurants and you see all your homies and it, it's the the facility itself while not like a you know a z max or a vegas it's got this saturday night drag strip feel to it it really still. does it really does and it's 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 a little i mean it has its shortcomings man it yeah, short. no, it, yeah it, it, i'm the, selling yeah. it short probably but it feels like a honky tonk like some bands sound better at a nightclub or in a bar than they do in an arena and drag racing looks good in indie man it does it does man it's uh Heck of a weekend. I'm going to give you one more question, then I'll let you get back to your uh, your your world of the empire of Drag Illustrated. Um, is John Forrest the car to beat? Is John Forrest the guy to beat for the world championship this year? And can a 70-year-old man do it? I think he can. I, don't, I honestly think he is the guy to beat. I, in my experience, uh, what's that saying, like old age and treachery? Yes, old age right? and treachery, I yeah. Mean, I mean, he is that guy. I've met people in my life that you can't allow them to get momentum. You can't allow people like John Force, competitors like John Force, to get a sniff. And there is an intangible thing that starts to happen. You start to, again, I'm going to sound like a, you know, a cuckoo clock or whatever, but it there is a there's a thing that starts to happen where you start to manifest and create some of your own luck. Right. And you just get out of your own way. You kind of get in that that zone where you're, you know, you're draining everything you put up. And that's kind of what it looks like happening to me. He is 
He's got that momentum. There's probably some. This might be my last. This might be the last time I've got it. Yeah, absolutely. This, I haven't. I haven't felt this good in 20 years. And you can see the enthusiasm. You can see a little bit of like what he, he's all over the map. But um, I mean, the dude is. I think he's. I think this is a moment in time that we'll look back on. Going. Do you remember when John Force was like 900 years old and like <laughs> ran over top of everybody at the yeah. end of the year? Like it just feels like he's got a full head of steam. He's wound up and this deal can humble you in a hurry, right? I mean, you can go from hero to zero in, in a moment's notice, but I do think that John's, John's got it, man. I think that, that he's going to be, he's going to be there till the bitter end, man. And what a freaking home run. I, I beat the drum of, we need next generation guys. We need the young oh, yeah. up and comers. We, Proc, you know, man. And yeah. yes. And I, and I will admit, and it's not always a popular notion that I get tired of talking about John force. Like I'm sure, going, no. Golly. Yes. like, you know, I'm ready for us to have whatever it is that's next, you know, and they're already there. I'm not, I'm not trying to say they're not there, but, um, dude, it's special. What that guy is, is special. What he represents to his sport. I've told people before that I feel like drag racing as a whole is this circus tent. And he is this kind of worn and weathered cedar pole in the middle holding the tent <laughs> yeah, up, right? Yeah. And, hey, man, it's just good to see him standing tall, dude. He was sitting in the media center with aviators on at 8 o'clock or some shit, some, <laughs> you know, or something. Yep. And I'm going, this dude rules, right? I mean, the sun's going down, John. We're inside. Take your shades off. Never mind. You don't have to. Yeah. Yeah, sun never sets on a badass, right? Yeah. That's exactly right, man. <laughs> West Buck, thank you right. so much. Uh, great to have you on the show. Thank you for your time and opinions. And uh, you and I share a lot of things uh, in terms of our outlook on this sport, but our excitement and enthusiasm for what's going to happen with ProMod, I think, uh, leads the way right now. So thanks, hey. man. I sincerely appreciate it. And you can catch West Buck weekly on the Drag Illustrated Facebook page with his live show. You can also check him out on the West Buck podcast where you can find where fine podcasts are sold. Wes, again, thank you so much for your time, man. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it, man. You bet. Have a great day. Wes Buck, a great guy and a great ambassador for the sport of drag racing and the perfect third guest to round out our panel here on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. There will be no NHRA Insider Podcast next week because I will be in a small, crummy car with David Freiberger traversing the highways and byways of America on Drag Week. I'll be back the week following that to let you all know what happened, the inside scoop on the stories, and what happened at Reading, Pennsylvania. It is time to take a little bit of a break on the NHRA Drag Racing Series Tour, but only for about two weeks. The countdown kicks off in Reading, where Larry Holmes, the, the world heavyweight champion, one of the greatest boxers of all time, will be hanging out with me and Tony on the TV show. It's going to be great. It's going to be a blast. And since there's no NHRA national event drag racing going on this weekend, make sure you get out to your local drag strip, buy a ticket, buy a hot dog, and hang out in the grandstands to watch some fun sportsman action at your local track. We'll see you next time in the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. And thanks, as always, for listening.